Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And my name is Michael Gallagher. You can follow me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore. Hello, Michael. How are you, sir? I'm great, Braden. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing wonderful. Uh, we we are intentionally doing something today on the show that I rarely do, that I make fun of radio hosts for doing, and I'm going to be fully self-aware and acknowledge that I'm doing the thing that I hate that other people do. And we are going to do a sweet 16 bracket of best Preds player names of all time. Uh, just a Preds player name bracket, sweet 16. Later on, we got them seated one through 16. We're going to go through the bracket. We're going to pick our champion of Preds players' names of all time. You have to have played one game in a Preds sweater. And frankly, I'm doing this in full acknowledgement of my own, um, Michael, like like hatred of sticky radio. Oh, it's Thanksgiving Day. It's Fourth of July Day. We have to do something that's relatable to that. And I'm like, no, here's the reason. <laughs> we have been caught in this loop of, are the Predators good? Oh, they're playing a huge game. Oh, they just choked. Oh, now they're playing another huge game. Oh, are they going to be good? Yes, they won it. We're not sure. And it's just like rinse and repeat for like three years, it feels like. And that's going to be a main topic on the show today <laughs> is they are facing. T- the reason we're out early this week is because they, they have two games with Seattle. This is basically their last gasp for a playoff spot. These two games, a team they are chasing directly with two back to back matchups. This is it. This is the end of the line here for the Preds this season. And so we're going to have the same kind of cyclical conversation today, but we wanted to lighten the mood at the end with some stupid nonsense about some of our favorite players' names. You want to give you, you want to tease people with one matchup? You want to tease people with one matchup? Um, sure, why not? How about the 512? Let's tell everybody about the 512 matchup in the Sweet 16 Preds player name bracket. That would be Jordan Tutu versus Pontus Aberg. There we go. There's an example. And we will go all the way through all 16, all games, and get to a champion <laughs> of the Preds player name. Because, again, I just think we need a lighthearted chunk of time on the pod today. I, 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 I like want to mention this before we get to that, because people will tear us apart once they hear that. You have to play at least one game for the Preds. So, although Gunnar Wolf Fontaine has not played for the Preds, if he was in this tournament, he would win hands down because that's the best damn hockey name I've ever heard. Yep, you had to, three. You know how many players? How about this? You know how many players have played all time in a Preds sweater? Number total uh, number. Take a guess. One at least one game in the NHL for the Preds, National Predators. Three hundred and sixty-four. Damn, pretty good, dude. Three ten. Three hundred and ten. Uh-huh. Very good. Michael Gallagher, everybody. Thanks for joining I, us. That's all I'm we need. I'm really today. good at randomly guessing numbers and getting within like 20 <laughs> or 30. It's a strange uh, talent I have. I, I, I admire it, man. Uh, so that's we're going to finish up with that and have some fun and try to lighten the mood heading into the weekend. Because again, two huge games with Seattle. And can this team finally rise to the occasion? Because they have not really done that. And who who is to be blamed for some of that? John Hines, the players. There's a lot of blame to go around, but we'll get into that. Um, UC Saros usage conversation. We've got to get into that. What, what should the priority be of the coaching staff moving forward? Again, I think following, uh, the two Seattle matches, Roman Yossi is out because of course this team cannot have nice things and all the players, it, like you still have Forsberg out. You still have, obviously carry is not close. Parson and on and on McDonough is back. Apparently we will discuss some positive news with young number 77. We do have to discuss that. So we do have some positive things to say on the show today. However, before we do any of that, Michael Gallagher, Gold Standard, is brought to you by... That would be Jaspers. It would. It would, in fact. It would, in fact, be Jaspers. And they do still, in fact, have specials for all you Preds fans who are watching. You got NCAA tournament games coming up this weekend. You got Nashville SC on on Saturdays. You got the draft coming up. You got Preds games, Preds specials. Here's the deal. They can do anything. They can do anything. They are they are basically the Roman Yossi of sports bars in in Nashville because they, they they're good at lunch with a spouse they're good at lunch with business they're good in the afternoon after work with happy hour with your buddies they're good watching a game they're good for a nice meal if you need to go on if you want to take someone on a nice date I've taken my daughter there on before I went to the Ryman for a show she loves the burgers and fries they love the fries I know you love the fries uh, fries and, are freaking awesome man <laughs> and they got the uh, the game room which everybody loves all ages. They got the big screen in there. 
So make sure you're going to Jasper's. Um, proud partners of the Nashville Predators and the Gold Standard Podcast for a long, long time. We do appreciate their support. So you guys go out there and please support local business. I promise you, you will not be disappointed when you go try the food. The food is spectacular. The parking is free. Um, it's really, really good. The whole deal. It's a great atmosphere. Very vibey in there. Very light and airy. Unlike sometimes this podcast, uh, it's very, it's very relaxing. So go check it out. Um, which brings us to like one of the things you want to talk about the most today on the show is sort of is sort of the, the the situations that this team has been in this season. Is it more than just this season? Because obviously the Arizona game last year, you could point to and say they choked away a chance to have a, a different playoff matchup in the final day of the in the final second of the regular season. But this team has not risen to the occasion when they have needed to. And that is why they are, you know, five points back of of getting into the postseason right now, despite all of the the selling of the pieces, which we know I, I do believe relieves some stress and some pressure and it's house money if they make it. What 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 is your theory here on the predators in clutch situations? I I just don't think that they're good when they're when the pressure's on, basically. And you can bring this back to last season. Like you said, the last game they choke, they could have, that could have been a very different playoff series had they played the Calgary Flames instead of the Colorado Avalanche, even with a backup goaltender, especially with everything that was going on. The Flames were a team that the Predators beat in the regular season. The Avalanche, they matched up with really well when they were healthy, but Colorado has always seemed to have their number. So had they not choked in the final game of the season, you are, you could argue that the playoffs would have been different. I think the same thing this year. And really, I feel like it started this year in the offseason. We we did a whole entire podcast talking about how this was the best offseason that David Poyle's had in years. We talked about how Nito Niederreiter, Ryan McDonough, they could have been the two pieces that would bring this team to the next level that would at least make them competitive if they got into a playoff series again against the Colorado this year and say UC Saris is out for whatever reason. They would at least be more competitive because of the pieces they added. And on paper, everything looked great. And then you start off the Global Series 2-0 against the Sharks. We didn't really know how bad the Sharks were going to be, how bad the Predators were going to be. They come back to North America, and it's like, okay, well, the Preds are obviously one of the one of going to be one of the top teams in the Central Division. Of course, we didn't know about Dallas and Winnipeg and, and anything like that, but they start playing, and they start going on a losing streak, and next thing you know, things are terrible, and they're a few games under 500. Then they somehow get back to 500, and then it's like, okay, once they, they maybe finally turn this around, they start going on another losing streak. They fight to get back to 500 again. And then once you get to the trade deadline and you start selling off some of the players because the team looks like it was going nowhere, they go on it. They get hot again and go on a winning streak because the pressure's off. And then finally, once they get to the Winnipeg game over the weekend, the pressure's back on because it's like, oh, if the Predators win this game, they're with, I think they're within one or two points of the playoff, of a playoff spot in the wild card or whatever. And then we see how, how things kind of went from there. I mean, it's just... You get blown out 7 nothing to the Rangers. You had a nice 7-3 win over Buffalo last night, but no one really expects much from Buffalo. And I think the, the two Seattle games, for sure, if you win one or both of those, then then definitely Toronto and Boston. But I think the next two to four games are key to whether this is going to be a playoff team or not. And whenever the pressure has been on and they've had a legitimate shot to either advance in the standings or to secure, get into the playoff picture, they just have not done it. Now, let's, let's go back, because I agree. I mean, obviously the Rangers game... You start lanking in, and he gives up what, like six goals on seven? Or no, there were six goals on seven shots. A couple of those were UC Saros. Um, he, you know, he's pulled out of there pretty fast, like eight minutes into the first period. Um, I what, go back to the Winnipeg game though, because they take the lead. Cody Glass takes the you know scores in the first period. Um, they're playing pretty decent hockey. The second period, nothing happens. They give up a goal. They tie. They give up the tying goal, and then Evangelista scores, and they take the lead again. So they gave up the lead twice in that game, and I think that's the critical thing here. It's not that Winnipeg just came in, who's been clearly a better team all season, and came into the building and was just up two nothing, and then you made it two one, and then it was three one, and then you made it three two, and then it was four two, and then they score an empty netter and they win five two, and it's like a, it's clearly that they win and they're the playoff team, which would make sense. It's the idea that you gave up the lead twice to them, and then you give yeah. up the game. Now, you get a point out of the deal, but you give them two. And so I think, to, to me, I, I agree with you. And what it leads to, to me, and then part of the reason we wanted to do the show on Wednesday, sometimes we've done it on Fridays. We apologize for sort of the scheduling up back and forth on this, this episode. Normally, we're every Thursday, but I wanted to get it up today because I do think this is the last one here. Like, I know I said, <laughs> I feel like I've said this a million times to you on the show. You have. Look, it's 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 end of January. Look, it's the trade deadline. Look, it's this date. It's this date. It's this date. But but really in hockey, 
all you need is like six or seven games. And if you go like, you know, five oh and two in a seven game stretch, you could jump somebody and make the playoffs. Is this Nashville Predators roster gonna do that? Eh, you know, not something I would put money on, but possible. You don't need a month and a half to gain one or two spots in the standings. Case in point this weekend, you get two straight games against Seattle, which is unusual, with especially with the day in between. They are the team that is one of the two teams that are directly ahead of you in the playoff standings. They are five points ahead of you. If you beat them twice and you take four points from them, it is 83 points Seattle, 82 points Predators for the last playoff spot with Winnipeg mixed in there somewhere. So it is right there in front of them to win two games, two hockey games, not six, not seven, not nine, two hockey games. And if they lose these two hockey games, they're done. This is the last gasp. And then I think they should change strategies because I feel like, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like John Hines is still trying to win games, not develop talent. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like the priority has been, I'm going to play. And again, I'm not saying that it would change his strategy drastically, but there is a difference between trying to win games and get into the playoffs, probably with guys like Cole Smith, who are consistent and sort of give you a professional level versus a younger player like an evangelista who maybe is a bad example of this, but will make mistakes, but you need him to make mistakes so that he learns and grows and gets better. But maybe that doesn't give you as good a chance to win. Does that, does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I feel like you hit the nail on the head. That's, that's the whole issue with John Hines as the coach of this franchise is he has come in and tried to win games over developing talent. And and I get it. The pressure was on because he was brought in to relieve Peter Laviolette. Peter Laviolette has a Stanley Cup. Peter Laviolette has been to multiple Stanley Cup finals. Peter Laviolette has the skins on the wall. John Hines doesn't. And David Poyle, even when he brought him in, said he's one of the young, great hockey minds. We, we couldn't believe this guy was available. Like he, he oversold him on how great and how much potential John Hines had. So I understand the whole the, the pressure, I guess, to, to try to win games, to, to one, prove your boss right, and two, to keep your job. Well, isn't that isn't that also a sports ego thing, too, just in general? Like, it's so hard to ask professional athletes and coaches to not compete. Like, that's yeah. or, or, at least mean, to, or at least to make that not your top priority, I guess. Yeah, but I, I think it's situational, too. If Peter Laviolette was fired because the Predators were like 10, 20 and four, like it would be different because obviously you're not coming in to try to get the team to the playoffs that year because it's a dumpster fire and you're, you're clearly in a rebuild or starting over. He took over a team that just played a week earlier, just played in a winter classic, like still have very much had playoff aspirations and believe that they were at least going to be competing for a conference final. And I, I think that had a lot to do with it. But John, part of what John Hines was sold as is being this great developmental coach. That should have, it shouldn't have been one or the other. It shouldn't have been winning games or developing. Both should have went hand in hand. And and if that was the case, then Ellie Tolvanen would still be here. Rem Pitlick would still be here. Connor Ingram would still be here. David Ferentz would still be here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could keep going. The list goes on of the young, talented players that this team has parted ways with seemingly for no reason. And I think that's that's the issue is that John Hines is too concerned with winning games. And right now, I mean, yes, they're technically not out of it. You And it, look, you don't just it's not just Winnipeg or Nashville. You still have to hold off Calgary too. Calgary's right there. Yeah. Calgary's technically ahead of you in the wildcard standing. So Right now, it's pretty much a three-team race between Nashville, Calgary, and Winnipeg for that final wildcard spot. But I think you're right. John Hines is too focused on winning games right now. And clearly, uh, I've said this before, I don't want to keep beating the drum on this, but this team would be better off with a higher draft pick than, than trying to sneak into the playoffs. So I think that's his focus right now. His focus is trying to get to the playoffs because I think maybe in the back of John Hines' mind, he's thinking, if I get to the playoffs, I'll show Barry Trotz enough to keep my job for one more year at least. So I, I agree with you that the draft pick in theory, should be a top priority. But because they've played well enough to still be in the playoff conversation, I think that part of the conversation is kind of done. Like, I, I think they are, like, best case scenario, they could be, like, 11th or 12th in the lottery. And that's, like, we said this a couple weeks ago on the show. Like, what is the best case scenario in the draft? What's the best case scenario if they were to try to win? And we kind of laid out both those scenarios. I think the draft scenario is kind of gone at this point. I don't think it affects, like, because they kind of have won too many games uh, on accident, maybe. <laughs> I, like they've, they've, they've kind of, to me, that part of it is, is, is gone. And I do believe the difference between trying to win games and develop talent, like you said, can go hand in hand. But I also think it's a very subtle difference. Like, let's say hypothetically, a couple of weeks ago, he's got a chance to play Igor Afanasiev or Cole Smith. Well, which guy needs developing and needs time and has more upside and could be a potential starting player on this team for a long period of time? Well, it's clearly Afanasiev. 
But Cole Smith today probably gives you a better chance to win because he's not going to make the little mistakes that a young player makes. So, I, again, I think everyone gets the differences, but I'm willing to give them these two games and say, look, you beat Seattle two games both times. You take four points from Seattle. You make it a four-team race for two spots instead of three for one. Then I'm okay with playing, and again, I'm, I'm using Cole Smith here. I, it sounds personal. It's not about Cole Smith. <laughs> it's mostly about you and your disdain for Cole Smith, not the person, the hockey player. Um, but I think putting guys in to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes is different than trying to put like an NHL consistent piece on the ice. And those de- those decisions are subtly different. But I think after this weekend, if they lose both games, you, you've got to focus. Your priority has to be on getting young players better for next year. Even if it's not for your coaching staff, even if it's for, if it's for the next coaching staff, you've got to be selfless and you've got to say what's best for the organization. And hope oh, 100%. That, and hope that Barry Trotz and David Poyle see that and say, we appreciate what you've done. And maybe that earns him some equity. I don't I don't I don't know. I don't know. And that's, I'm, and that's I'm giving them two games. I'm giving them two games. That's why I think if you if you come out of these two Seattle games and you're not any you're not you haven't moved up in the standings at all, and you have made the call, you're like, okay, we're pulling the plug on this. I think the best thing is is player development at this point. I think that's honestly the best case scenario for for what's left of this team because I would I would go to Philip Forsberg and be like, hey, no rush, take your time. Right. If you come back, play a couple of games at the end of the season, great. If not. Hey, take an extended three-week vacation, whatever. The same thing with Carrier. Horvietsky probably clearly isn't coming back. Ryan Johansson's already out for the season. You tell your injured players, hey, take the rest of the season off. Don't worry about it. You heal up and be ready for next year. Because now, Phil Tomasino is getting a top-six role, and he's thriving right now. Cody Glass, the same thing. Tommy Novak, the same thing. Luke Evangelista, after the game he had last night. Like These are the players that should be on this roster next year. And, and I think it's time not to like to, to say like changing of the guard or whatever, but it's time to start letting your top six pros- letting your prospects that have top six potential play in the top six and see if they actually have it. Because that was the whole thing with Ellie Tolvanen was he was a top six player, but he rarely played in the top six. And you can say the same thing about a couple, a couple other people as well, but let Phil Tomasino go out there and do what he's been doing. He's scoring on the power play. He's being creative with a puck. Luke Evangelista is a playmaker and he's just blowing the doors off people. Tommy Novak is basically a point per game player over the last two months. Like, I think your record is your, I don't know what it is, but your record's really good with him in the lineup. Like Igor Afanasiev looks like he's going to be a pretty good bottom six player, at least for now. Like he's a power forward. He hasn't scored yet, but right. he's doing a lot of good things. I think you, you let the young guys develop because would you rather them be playing top line minutes in Milwaukee right now? Or would you rather them be playing top line minutes in Nashville? If you have the opportunity for these guys to play top six, top six minutes, in the NHL, you give it to them. And and the good news is the Admirals are still winning without him. So it's not like it's really affecting your farm team either. Well, and unfortunately now you've got Yossi injured. Cody Glass went out, right? He he did he missed yeah. a bunch of he missed a bunch of time against Buffalo, I think, right? I think so you've got like the injuries keep piling up. And I, so let's go positive here before we go to the injuries and to the negative, because I am concerned about one particular player. Um, but Luke Evangelista, there's I got I gotta I wrote I had to write down because the tweets just kept coming on Tuesday night. <laughs> They just kept coming, and it started, I believe, with with Preds PR, and that he he scored two goals, two assists in in the second period against Buffalo. Uh, he now has, I believe, let me double check here. He's got five goals, four assists, and eleven games. That's nine points, almost a point per game. Um, he is the second Predators rookie all time, only the second Predators rookie all time to have four points in a game. <laughs> of all players, if you would have given me a hundred guesses. Of who is the only Predators rookie to have scored four points in a game? I would not have told you Dan Hamus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 2000, me either. 2004. And by the way, love Dan Hamus. Uh, girl dad, three girls. I, uh, every time I talk to him, it, one of the nicest, best dudes I've ever met on that team. And all we ever talked about was like raising girls and stuff. So like he, fantastic. I, I love that he's, that he's the only player that had ever done that. But now, Luke Evangelista. Here's another one. Who is the only player in the history of the Nashville Predators to score four points in a period? This one a little bit more obvious. Philip Forsberg, and he did it last year, I believe, on the same date. Yeah. So there, there's another one. So there's two giant bullet points for Luca Evangelista. <laughs> and here's another one. And this is where it feels a little bit like a baseball stat, you know? Like, you know how baseball stats get where they're like, 
Only two right-handed pitchers in the bottom of the ninth have ever thrown four consecutive walks. You know how you know what I'm saying? Like these really bizarre, like qualifier stats in baseball. The stats that like, analytics analytics nerds use to try to uh, sound holier than thou. No, it's just like the it's the it's like. On a day game following a night game on a three-two count in the bottom of the seventh, no player's ever done this before. And you're like, okay, that's that's that that's cool baseball, but stuff so, that nobody so, ever needs to know. <laughs> kind of. This one's not quite like that, but here we go. Uh he is the second rookie, not in Preds history, in NHL history, to have two goals, two assists, a plus four rating, and seven plus shots in a game. You got to go back to Dale Howarchuk, the year I was born in 1982, to do what Luke Evangelista did on Tuesday night against Buffalo. And I might add, in front of 12 people. <laughs> and it's hard to get up for a game in front of 12 people. Uh, but Luke Evangelista, everybody, what a performance on Tuesday night. Got to spend some time celebrating the good here. Yeah, I mean, he's he's someone that when, when he put up that 50-goal, 100-point season, um, for the London Knights, I believe it was last year. I think that's when when everyone first got their their first glimpse of wow, this kid could be special. He came into development camp and rookie camp, and that that's really the first time people in Nashville and reporters like our, ourselves get get our first chance to see him. And he, you could just tell he was going to be special by what he was doing. He has this this dragon curl wrist shot that just when you watch him do it, it's almost just like wow. It, I don't blame a goalie for not being able to stop that puck because the, the stuff. His puck handling skills alone are, are top notch. He's got speed. He's got skill. He's a playmaker. He's not afraid to shoot the puck. He's creative in space. The guy just has a nose for the net. Like everything that you want in a top six forward, he has. And he has the potential to be a really good goal scoring top six forward. Watching him last night, I think I wouldn't expect too many more two goal four point nights from him. But I think it's nice to, to see that he has that potential. And again, is against the Buffalo Sabres. So. It's not like he's going out there doing it against Tampa Bay Lightning or anything like that. But I mean, awfully impressive. This is, and he's someone who I think knows that a, a roster spot next year isn't completely out of the question for him. I think he knows that there's going to probably be some roster turnover this year. And if he shows enough over these last 10, 15 games with what he's done in, in the previous couple of games before that, I think he's someone who could very well work his way into the roster next year. I tweeted out last night during the game that I thought. Tomasino and Novak have, have all but sewed up their spots uh, next year. Of course, I said the same thing about Tomasino last year, and he got sent to Milwaukee, but I think those <laughs> days are over. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, Tom, realistically, Tomasino, Glass, Novak, Evangelista, I wouldn't throw a key for Sherwood in there because I believe he's 27. And he's not really like a prospect or anything. Yeah, I, yeah, I wouldn't do that. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, maybe even Igor Afanasyev. I think I think Afanasyev probably starts in the AHL. But I mean, if 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 the bottom six goes gets an overhaul, I mean, you're looking at five of your top prospects that could potentially be on this roster next year. Tommy Novak, a goal and an assist against Buffalo. He's scored points in I think six out of seven. I mean, again, Tommy Novak to me statistically is uh, like to be where he's at. Like I, I, Evangelista, to your point, as you laid out, the pedigree was there. Tomasino, the pedigree was there. There was some success last year. We wondered why he wasn't doing it this year. But for Tommy Novak to already be, and I'm doing this real quickly here, I want to say he's like, because again, Nito Niederreiter's not on the team anymore. <laughs> and Philip Forsberg is not healthy. Tommy Novak right now is, and if Yossi's out, Tommy Novak is your second best goal scorer on the team right now. <laughs> Behind Matt Duchesne. <laughs> and to look, Tommy Novak was a third round pick. He wasn't someone who was highly... Highly regarded. I mean, the same thing with Tanner Janot, who was undrafted. So the Predators are really good at maximizing and getting the most out of their late round picks, out of their undrafted players. I think Elite Prospects has Tommy Novak on pace for 19 goals and 43 points in 51 NHL games. Unbelievable. For, for someone who wasn't even expected to be competing for a spot this year, who was, I think a lot of people labeled him as like the journeyman, like he was going to be in the AHL. He maybe gets some NHL games. He's proving everybody wrong. So, I mean, good for Tommy I, Novak, man. Now, I will say you cannot maintain a 20% shooting percentage. He's at like 19.5% right now. Like, that's probably not likely to, to be sustainable. But either way, with Tomasino, Novak, Evangelista, maybe Afanasiev, you're talking about, really, frankly, he feels more like this year's Tanner Janot, honestly. Um, and I think you're looking at at least three spots that probably at the beginning of the year were not guys that were penciled into the starting lineup even though we had Tomasino in there, that, that now you have to almost assuredly put in the lineup, and maybe four. So we'll see. I, I, I'm with you. I don't think Afanasiev is 
done enough yet to show me that he belongs yeah. in the starting lineup. I think he's a guy that's an AHL guy. But I think Evangelista is the guy that is the, the debate. He's going to come into the camp with, with the, everyone's going to be looking at him the way we looked at Tomasino this year and hope that it probably doesn't play out the way Tomasino's season did this year. But that is going to, he is going to be the guy that everyone's watching next year. Like the year before was Tolvanen. Yeah. The, the, this year was Tomasino. Like the guy coming in next year is going to be Evangelista. And it's because he keeps producing. And again, when you're putting yourself into the record books the way he did on Tuesday night, um, good for you, dude. Good on you. Great job. Excellent. You know, just all around uh, fun player to watch. You need to put on a little weight, eat some pork chops. But uh, other <laughs> he than needs that, to go to Jasper is what he needs to do. There you go. Go to Jasper's. Luke, listen. Luke. <laughs> Go to Jasper's, get yourself a smash burger and a few beers. <laughs> Maybe not the beers. A couple flatbreads. Maybe, yeah, just put on a few pounds, put on a few weights, uh, and, you know, get get into the gym. But uh, otherwise, everything else looks like he's got it. But uh, there's And we haven't parts. even talked about Yuso Parson either. I mean, you're realistically, yeah, yeah. next year, between Novak, Glass, Parsonen, Tomasino, Evangelista, I mean, you're, you're looking at having... I, I, I don't want to speculate, but you're looking at having a really good, solid young core, which I, I don't I can't remember the last time this team had five or six players that were under the age of 24 that are like the heart of the lineup. Well, Fa Fabro's still pretty young. Carrier's not. Carrier's a little bit older, but uh, is, is, would be a part of that as well. I, yeah. I do think and I, I want to know what you think of like Trennan and Lausanne, who have played largely the entire season. I want to know if you think they've developed. But I do think that the reason I put Evangelista in a different category is those guys is that Parson and Novak aren't like your number one pick with expectations who's ranked high in the farm system, right? Like Evangelista and Tomasino and Tolvanen were probably all at one point like the number one player in the farm system, or at least in consideration for the number one player in the farm system uh, as really high-level draft picks. That's that, There's there's some pedigree with those three guys, whereas with Parson and with Novak, with Tanner Janot, with some with some of these other guys, they didn't come in with the same type of pedigree. So I, I'm curious what you give me. Give me your thoughts on Lozon and and because uh, they signed him to a what a three year six million dollar deal uh, at the beginning before the year. You got Trennan who's played most of the season hasn't really taken a huge step forward. I'm curious what you think of some of those other guys that are not that young but <clears throat> still youngish. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean Lozon's 25. He's not like an overly big defenseman. He's six foot one, I think, and he's like right around 200 pounds. Um. He's got, I mean, I guess you could you could argue his offensive game kind of improved a little bit. He's got three goals and 11 points, which are career highs for him. Um, but he up until, you know, last year, he hadn't really played a full season. So these are the last two years are the are the first full two seasons he's played. But I mean, 72 shots, a 4.2 shooting percentage. Um, I mean, he's. He's been asked he's just, to play out of position for some of the season with all the injuries. Yeah, I mean, I fair. feel like he's just kind of there. You feel bad for him because I don't even know how many defensive different defensive partners he's played with. <laughs> he's been up and down the lineup. He's been a third pairing defenseman. He's been a first pairing defenseman. I think that's just kind of who he is. I, I think he's kind of just he's going to be a third pairing defenseman. They gave up a second round pick, which I thought was awfully high for him. I don't really think he, again, he's 25. I think he's past the point of like developing. I think he is who he is. Yeah, and I think yeah. the same thing with Yakov Trenin, which pains me to say because Trenin's 26. He, he had a lot of potential um, in his draft year. And then he, I think he got into a motorcycle wreck or something or an ATV wreck and ended up missing quite a bit of time. Oh yeah. Um, I forgot about that. So, so he lost, I believe one season. And I'm not saying that's why he hasn't developed or anything, but you just feel bad because you kind of felt like he started a season behind everybody else. But I mean, 10 goals, 21 points. He's three points behind his 24 that he had last year. He had 17 goals last year. I think that's kind of the ceiling for him. 15, 18 goals. You would like to see him get into the 30, 40 point range. Um, but I, I think he's someone who's probably not going to develop much more either. I think he is who he is. I think he's right in that 15 goal, 25 point range. And if he's playing on the third or fourth line, maybe that's all you need from him. I think, I think you can get by with right. the, with, with lesser offense from Yakov Trenin because he brings so much more with he can fight, he's physical, 
He can take faceoffs if you need him to. Like he can, he can play all three forward spots. Like he's he started off as a center, and they moved him to the wing. Like he's really good at blocking shots. Like he'll he's one of those guys that if you see an open shot, he's not afraid to put the body in front of the puck yeah, and take yeah, one for the yeah. team and stuff. So you you lose offense with him. He hasn't really developed in that area, but I think he's developed really well in all the other areas. But if he's, I think I think he is kind of he is who he is right now. If he's a fifteen fifteen guy, because again he's probably going to have a career year if he gets a couple more points here. Um, but if he's, a, not, I, I think not, you live with it if that's if he's a 15, that's what I'm saying guy you live with it and it's also why you can get rid of Tanner Janot because they do kind of some of the same things and it's Trenton's you know uh, again him and Sissons with somebody is a per, is still a good line to have in a, on a on a productive hockey team so I just wanted yeah. to get your thoughts on some of the other young players um all right I want to get into the we got our we got our fun laid back name bracket coming up that's right shtick podcasting if that's a thing if, if you can do that um, but I want to get into a conversation injuries obviously continue to ravage the team Roman Yossi who knows what what's happened to him um, I, I, I've, I've seen so many people trying to figure out what actually happened to him in that game and nobody can figure it out. Um, but I think and now, now with glass, you got Parson and you got Carrier, you got Johansson out for the season. They traded all their big pieces. The one guy I there's one big name I am worried about. Um, and that is UC Soros. And one of the reasons I bring up Soros is that if you are in fact trying to be competitive next year, which is what David Poyle has said publicly, what Barry Trotz, I'm assuming as a competitor, wants to do. When Johansson and all these guys are healthy, they're all going to want to compete too. We've laid out that they could have a semi-decent hockey team next year, especially if the young guys continue to develop and everybody stays healthy. Large ifs. But the only way this team is even close to competitive next season is if UC Soros is UC Soros. Now, he has been excellent again this year, but in the last six days. (laughs) Now, I know he was supposed to rest against the Rangers, but he played 51 minutes. Uh, he played 60 minutes against Buffalo, 61 against Winnipeg in extra time, 58 against Chicago. Um, that is a lot of minutes in six days. He is 54, uh, 54 starts. He's on pace to start 64 games, which is 78%, which is not exactly where we wanted to see him at, at the at the end of the year. You are also asking him to carry high-stress periods of hockey. Like, the, he is the guy to, if they're going to make the playoffs, it's not because they've got elite top six scoring right now. <laughs> it's not because they got an elite top four defense pairing. It's because UC Saros will carry them to, to a playoff spot. So what you're asking him to do is to, to do all of the heavy lifting in following a year where he got hurt. And you're, and really now your big picture goal should be next year. Uh, are you concerned with the amount of time? And again, I know Saturday against the Rangers was different because they had to play him because whatever, but like, don't you, especially if they lose these two games against Seattle, don't you want to see, Kevin Lincoln in a lot more than than UC Soros. Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, maybe <clears throat> my my concerns with his usage. I think if if the Preds are still in contention and they're trying to win games, and get into the playoffs, that's where it goes up because we have seen John Hines is not afraid to run UC Soros into the ground for the sake of making the playoffs. But if they do get eliminated, or if they do wave the white flag and they they're like, okay, we're we're not a playoff team, we're conceding that now. Then yeah, I think you. Honestly, I think the best thing to do would just be to alternate starts between Saros and Lankin for the rest of the year. That's the, that's the best thing. Maybe you call up Askarov and give him another start. Maybe you call up Devin Cooley and reward him and give him a, a random start. But I think the best thing right now for this team, for well, right now for UC Saros, I'll say, is to not be run into the ground for the sake of making the playoffs. Because even if they get into the playoffs, they're, they're not going to get past the first round, likely. So... I mean, look, he's 50, what, he started 53 games. He started 67 last year. So he's roughly on pace for the same thing. Um, maybe it may be a, a one or two less games, but I, I think the, I think the best thing right now is to give Saros a little bit of a break. I mean, how I about, know. how about, how I, about, I, you, the I agree. How about he starts the two Seattle games? I know it's a lot of work coming off six, six days where you played, you know, <laughs> whatever the math is almost 250 minutes in six yeah. days. Um, I, I know it's asking a lot to put him out there against Seattle. It's not back to back. Obviously there's a day in between, so that helps. But if, if you, I think, again, I think you push all your chips to the middle of the table here on these two games against Seattle. But having said that, if they, if they even split, if they even just go one and one, um, who is your most, like all of your other most valuable assets have gotten injured in this process. Like who's your most valuable asset? Roman Yossi injured. Who's your second most valuable asset? Probably Philip Forsberg, injured. Like, you could go down the list. Ryan Johansson, $8 million, injured. 
Uh, we can go down. Glass got hurt. Carrier's out for the, a big chunk of the rest of the season, if not all McDonough of it. McDonough just missed a handful of games. Like UC Soros is not even close. Your most valuable asset, current, future, and active. And so protecting that, I think, is critical um, moving forward. I'm okay with, again, I'm okay with going all in on the two games against Seattle. See what you got. And if you win both of them, all of a sudden you're in a playoff chase. And all right, all bets are off. Maybe you can get in. But you lose these games. You lose one out of two. I, that's it. I want to see Soros on the bench a lot more. Because he's your, he, he's your best chance to be competitive next year. He's your best trade chip in the offseason. He's your best trade chip next year. He is the best of everything that you've got. And you've got to make sure he's healthy. So. It, we saw last year what happened when you start 67 games. <laughs> Down, the downside of, of starting Saros in both games against Seattle, they're not back-to-back, but the game against Toronto is a back-to-back with the second game against Seattle. So if you say you throw Saros out there and you win both games against Seattle, you you almost have to start Lincoln against Toronto. So it's really kind of yes. – it's just it's just a, a, a big clusterfuck for, for everyone involved right now trying to figure this out because yep. if you throw them out there Thursday against Seattle and they win – Obviously, the game Saturday against Seattle is really important. Do you trust Kevin Lankinen to go out there and win you a playoff caliber game? Probably not. You want Saros out there if, if making the playoffs is really that important to you. Say you go out there and you win that game. Well, the Toronto game is also a playoff game. That's vitally important as well. You're going to have to put Lankinen. You can't put Saros in three games in four games. No, no, days. no. I, just... I agree. Lankinen is the Toronto game for sure. Like I, You need the Seattle games. They're clearly more important. Um, I, I just it, it all goes back to the priorities. And I, I'm okay with them trying to win games the best way that they see fit for the next two. And if it, if they're still in it, then I'm okay with them doing what they need to do from a coaching perspective to try to put the best team on the ice to win games and collect points. Um, after after these two games, I want young forwards on the ice getting critical moments, power play time. I want young defensemen getting critical moments. I want UC Saros being rested. I, I want the priority to be development for next year not trying to win hockey games. I the, the I'm I'm already removing the lottery from my mind. It's about development. There's three goals. You can go lottery sucking, you can go development, or you could go winning games. And I think there are slightly different strategies. And I think the one I would vote for is is developing the young players. Give them as much opportunity to to take live fire and to get better for next year right now. But I'm okay with waiting till after two more games. Okay. I, w- I will say one last thing on the Saros for I will say I, I I've been told he has changed up his strength and conditioning program regimen a little bit after the injury last season and short of sliding across and randomly hitting your ankle or your leg or whatever on a goalpost. It's a fluke injury. Right. I don't worry about the durability. I don't worry. He can handle it. He's 27. Like he's in the prime of his career. He can handle the workload. Just, just, I just don't think it's wise to run him into the ground, but I, I, I will say, no, I agree. You're he's, right. He's changed things up. So if ever there was a time to, I guess, put it on his shoulders now would probably be it. And we've talked about this. I think we talked about it with Gover actually on the trade special. Um, is that his size? One of the few benefits of his size. I mean, I guess one of them would be quickness and agility. But one of the other benefits is that he's not carrying huge, you know, strain and pressure and loads on all the joints, right? Like the shoulders yeah. and the knees and the hips and the back. He's not carrying six five two thirty five. Like he's not. That's not what he's carrying around. So, could you imagine him at at six foot five with the freaking thighs that that dude has? My gosh. <laughs> Or even just like six one, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so go to Jasper's, of course. Support local business. Uh, please just swing by, take a photo of the food, post that on the socials. Tell them we sent you on the gold standard. You can order a gold standard cocktail, which is a dead giveaway, of course, that you listen to the show. Uh, but Jasper's has been a huge supporter of the Nashville Predators. They've been a huge supporter of this show, and we really appreciate them, and we appreciate you guys. Uh, we know we've got a lot of new listeners, so we appreciate you guys showing up. And go to Jasper's, go check it out. I, I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Great place to watch Preds games, home and road. If you want to watch Luke Evangelista break records, if you want to watch them try to get into the playoffs this weekend, you want to watch NCAA basketball, the NFL draft, you name it, they've got you covered. Uh, so go check out Jasper's, of course, free parking over there on West End. They are spectacular and real, and many people are talking about them. Uh, it is uh, the next evolution of the sports bar. Okay, you want to have a little fun here? Let's lighten the mood. Let's do it. Let's lighten the mood and, and be stupid for a second. <laughs> so we put together. Uh, we put together in very sticky and self-aware style we know that this is shtick podcasting based on the ncaa tournament that's taking place but i was looking for some godforsaken reason michael i was looking at every single player who had played for the preds i don't know why uh <laughs> this is how my ridiculous brain works 
I was looking at all 310 just for like fun. And I started jotting down some of my favorite names, just silly, funny, weird, odd, interesting, you know, all these names, just names. And I started thinking, you know what? We need to have a bracket and we need to pick some winners and find out what the greatest name is. Who wins the Sweet 16 of Pred's names? So we're going to go matchup by matchup here. We're going to go 116, 215, 314, just like a, like a sweet, like a whole 16 team bracket. And we'll, and we'll declare a winner. Uh, I, I know we've got some guys that we think are underrated, some guys who are maybe overrated. Um, but here's some names that didn't make it, for example. P.A. Parento did not make it. I don't know why that's such a funny name. I just find that to be a funny name. Chris Beach. I don't know why that's a funny name. Played five games for the Nashville Predators. <laughs> but I find Chris Beach, spelled with a K, Beach spelled with two E's, to be interesting, to be a funny name. We've got a Cody Glass and a Cody Bass on the, uh, that have both played for the Nashville Predators. This one's a really deep cut for you college football fans. There's Mike Farrell played for the Nashville Predators. Mike Farrell was like the national recruiting editor for Rivals.com when I worked at Rivals.com. <laughs> I don't know why. My, that's a deep, that's a me only kind of thing. Uh, Rocco Grimaldi, Francis Bouillon. And here's one that didn't make it. And I, it's a name that we all know very much. We've talked about it a lot. We use it a lot. We discuss his career a lot. He's in the record <laughs> books everywhere. But I don't think I've ever truly sat back and thought about how kind of funny his name is. David Legwand. Legwand? <laughs> yeah. David Armgun? Like, Legwand is just a funny... It's a, it, I, I don't... It, it's because I've heard it so many times that I don't think of it. And then I, you see it written down. You're like, wait a second. Legwand? That's kind of a funny name. So they, those are names that didn't make it, Michael. And Igor Afanasyev did not make it either. Okay. It's, not, it's not really a funny name unless you hear... Paul McCann tried to pronounce it whenever he's on the ice and then it becomes funny because Paul McCann for the life of him cannot get the name pronounced right. But, and again, the prospects Gunnar Wolf Fontaine hands down would have won this tournament had he yeah. been in it, but he hasn't played a game. Neither has Grant mismash and neither has Hardy Hammond Actel, who is a free agent and maybe the Preds bring him back. Who knows? But there's three prospects with great names that are not in this tournament either. Hardy green eggs and Hammond Octo. Is that what you <laughs> Yeah. I feel like, Chris Berman there for a second. Going Berman on me. Uh, all right. So let's do, let's start with the eight, nine matchup, the eight, <clears> nine <throat> matchup, number eight, the number eight seed who's played 24 games for the Nashville Predators, Harry Zolnerchuk, number eight. He is going up against the nine seed, Yevgeny Nemistikov. Now, if you just see Yevgeny Nemistikov and you don't know how to pronounce Russian players' names, like most Americans, you're probably going to think it says name Stinkoff. <laughs> Yeah. Which, is, which is not how it's pronounced. But the 8-9 matchup, Harry Zolnerchuk, Yevgeny Nemistikov, who played two games. Well, Zolnerchuk, it looks like it's pronounced Zolner Sizik, so. <laughs> well, and Nemistikov had actually a son who played for the Lightning, I believe. So um, he played two games. Zolnerchuk played 24. In the 8-9 matchup, who should we have advancing? Uh, I, I, I got to go Zolnerchuk, man. I, I have a, a soft spot for, for Harry Z. He was playoff hero. What, 2016, 2017, all around just good dude. He he was he was the typical predator back then that I think John Hines would have loved to have now. The gritty, in-your-face, kind of take-no-bullshit kind of forward. I'm leaning Harry Z. I don't know about you. I'm going Harry Zolnerchuk. I do like Nemistikov. It's just a great, it's just a great Russian name. Like just a smooth, fun, bizarrely spelled Russian name. But I'm with you. Harry Z, Harry Zolnerchuk. Yeah, got it. Got it. Got to move Harry's. I think once you off. shorten the name and you go like Jimmy G, Harry Z, that just that, that, that kind of brings you into the next level status. OK, they are going to match up with the 116 matchup. The 116. I was I was going to try to wait to hold off on who the one seed is, but I can't do it because we got the eight, nine winner there. Harry Z. 116 matchup. Number 16. And I'm not even sure how to pronounce it. He played one game <laughs> for the National Predators. Libor Pivko. Sounds great. I have no idea how to say it. I've never heard. I've never watched him play. That it doesn't like, matter. He's he's not winning. Let's get to the one seed. I, I am an I am I am uh, an ignorant American. The number one seed. I don't think this is even close. And you might have you might debate with me on this. But the number one name for a national predator, of, in my opinion, the one seed going into this game played three hundred and twenty five games, which is way more games than I expected from this guy, Vern Fiddler. <laughs> it's got to be. Yeah. This is a this is a Nashville hockey team. Vern Fiddler is the one seed. I've got Vern Fiddler advancing. Do you disagree? 
Oh, no, definitely not. Hands down. If there's anything that could make Vern Fiddler more Nashville, I think it's the <laughs> fact that he caught uh, George Strait's hat in his final concert when he threw it out into the crowd. Oh, God, that's right. I forgot about that. So, yeah, Vern, Vern Fiddler. I don't, I don't remember right. who, who Pivko was, but, I mean, you can't, you can't compete with Vern Fiddler. Vern Fiddler advances the one seed versus Harry Zoller Chuck the eight seed. Okay, let's go to the 215 matchup. The 215 matchup on the bottom of the bracket. Number two seed, <laughs> Corbinian Holzer. Three games for the Nashville Predators. Corbinian Holzer. Sounds like a like a Scandinavian rock band. Uh, number 15, Daniel Bang. Played eight games for the Nashville <laughs> Predators. Daniel Bang. Who we got winning this one? Corbinian Holzer or Daniel Bang? This might be controversial. I, I have the, the Cinderella upset. I, I, would, I would go Daniel Bang over Corbinian Holzer just because... It, bang come on there's so many jokes there's innuendo <laughs> there there's so many possibilities you could go you can't really make fun of corbinian holzer's name there's not much you can do that's, it's just it just sounds good. funny it, it sounds like some weird salad you get at a greek restaurant i don't know <laughs> so we'll have the a, corbinian a, holzer salad he's a he's a salad uh, he's a greek salad and a scandinavian rock band we are very yeah. disrespectful to you mr holzer we apologize <laughs> Uh, but you know what? I'm fine with Daniel Bang being the Princeton of this bracket. And Daniel, there we go. Daniel Bang gets the There's got to be one. You convinced me of Daniel Bang uh, getting the victory, which leads us to the 7-10 matchup, who they're going to play. And this is going to take me a second to make sure I get this correct. The number, <laughs> <laughs> the number seven seed, Sergei Krivokrasov. <laughs> 133 games for the National Predators. Sergei Krivokrasov. And the 10 seed, Bubba Berenzig. <laughs> played 37 games, Bubba Berenzig. I think I'm saying that one right. I know I'm saying Krivokrasov right, because that, that, that guy played a lot of games. But Bubba Berenzig versus Sergei Krivokrasov. This is probably the toughest matchup of the bracket for me because they're both really strong, different names. But first of all, how can you bet against someone named Bubba? Like, I, I feel, starting I out feel, the gates, Bubba. I mean, I feel pretty strongly, first of all, to have such a unusual last name mixed with such an American NASCAR first name is yeah is great. I want to know what nationality is. I'm, I'm guessing he's probably German, but All right, hang I mean on. his last name is Berenzig. That just sounds that sounds like something that Jakob Trenin would say as he's punching you in the face. He played 37 games from 2000 to 2003. Uh, he is uh, from Illinois. <laughs> oh wow! Did not expect that. I did not either. Uh, with a name like Bubba, we probably should have. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going Krivokrasov here. Krivokrasov is just so much fun to say. I was leaning. I was you leaning. Took away, you took away Corbinian Holzer from me. You got to give me Krivokrasov. I'll give you that one. I was leaning towards Bubba Berenzig just for the. I mean, how many times Bubba? It's just it's just funny it's to a, say, but we'll we'll go Krivokrasov because that is kind of a tongue twister. All right, three versus 14 seed, and I don't, like, this guy could win the whole thing. Number, the three seed in this <laughs> tournament. One of the greatest names, not just in Predators history, but in all of NHL history. A guy that you would play with on NHL 94, I believe. Yeah. Radic, Radic Bonk, 145 games for the Nashville Predators. Radic Bonk, everybody, the three seed. Yeah, and the, the, he's facing the 14 seed. I fought for this guy to get into the tournament. In fact, we <laughs> removed David Legwan to get him in. <laughs> And look, David Leguan. The committee had some had some tense moments there. Yeah, Leguan is kind of a funny name. I will give you that. But Ryan Thang, come on, he only played one game for the Predators, so he <laughs> barely qualified. But how often have you have you met someone in real life whose last name is Thang, and that's how it's pronounced, Thang? It's just I've I've heard that several times just from my friends being stupid growing up. So I, I heard yeah, yeah, Thang, yeah. and it's just yeah. just kind of click. But yeah, uh, but, you, but we but we have to we can't we can't. Like no. Radic Radic Bonk is like a fourteen point favorite here, right? Radic right. Bonk is clearly yes, he is he's clearing away the, the winner of this matchup. But, but I just I wanted to get Ryan Thang in the tournament. Special love for Ryan Thang. Special. I love went to Murray him. State, so I have a thing for getting the the underdogs to squeak into the tournament. Okay, right, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Do uh, you have a thing? For, you have a thing for like uh, rocking like guns all over Instagram Live too? You good with that? Or I, I no, I do not. Okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> there's very there's, uh, that was for like five people. Um, number four, and this is a huge, this is, this guy came out of nowhere. This is the Cinderella of all <laughs> Cinderella stories. He has been on the roster for all of like a month. The four seed in the history of Nashville Predators hockey, Rasmus Asplund, who's currently on the team, who is the last trade ever in David Poyle's career. He's played six games so far. This guy's, this, this guy has shot up the, 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 the quad one wins for Rasmus Asplund is, <laughs> a, it's off the board. It's off the charts. Yeah, I, I 
And I think Robbie Stanley will have my back on this. He's playing the 13 seed, Merrick Zidlicki. I, I, come on, Zidlicki. It, 300, th- 307 games, Merrick Zidlicki versus Rasmus Asplund. I can't even get Zidlicki out without like smiling or laughing. But then again, I can't, get, Asplund, I, I can't get Asplund out of that He's got a funny name. And I noticed that everybody I've heard say his name puts the emphasis on ass I and then plund. So I, I which is I, probably also, very, di- which is probably very disrespectful to him, actually. So we, hopefully this is not offensive. No, no, no NHL players egos were hurt in the making of this stupid yeah. racket. OK, let's just be clear about that. I, um, I would right, go Zidlicki, go, but, but if, you, if you want Asplund, I'm fine with it. Here's the thing. Not enough experience, not enough experience in the tournament. He doesn't have like he doesn't have senior guards and they are they've they're too new to the big stage. They got a little overseeded. So I'm OK with Merrick. You want to go Merrick Zidlicki? That's fine. Yes. He's, we know he's not going to win the next round. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so there's your 413 matchup. Rasmus Asplund loses to Merrick Zidlicki in the name. We got a lot of upsets here. Okay, 611 seed. Let's move this along. 611 seed. Six seed. Rem Pitlick. I don't know why <laughs> this name is just interesting to me. I cannot say Rem Pitlick without thinking of like barbecue and weird innuendos all at the same time. Like the whole thing is just, un- it's unfair to be Rem Pitlick. Even if his name was David Pitlick, it wouldn't be as weird. Like Rem Pitlick. Yeah, he's a six seed. He's played eleven Cousin games. Of Tyler Pitlick. Yeah, eleven games. Of course, we know what happened. Put on waivers, uh, and then number eleven. Just because it's a really fun name to say, uh, Nino Niederreiter, fifty-six yeah. games. Uh, this is a tough one here. It's a tough one. Nino Niederreiter made me add his name into my uh, my word um, word document and made me add his name to the dictionary because it kept underlining every time I, I typed it out. Oh, um, and and the 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 autocorrect. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I would probably go Pitlick just because it's just, it's, it's an unusual name. Yeah. He has a cousin that plays in the NHL and there's been a couple other people I think with the name Pitlick, but it just sounds kind of disgusting. <laughs> like Pitlick. I, I, I know. You get, not, I, I feel like fair. you got to go it's with it. Neater, neater Adder, you can have some fun with his name and heaven forbid the people on Twitter don't get enough of the damn, give me fuel, give me fire bullshit with his name. But I, I, I go Pitlick. I, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm good with Pitlick. The six seed advances. Um, all right, the five twelve matchup: Jordan Tutu, the five seed, four hundred and eighty six games. Tutu versus Pontus Aberg, the twelve seed. Um, just like if if you're a, I, I'm not a big Bible guy. Uh, I, I've read it before, but Pontus. <laughs> clearing that I feel, up. I feel like Pontus is a is a big one <laughs> for those of you who are religious. Pontus Aberg, uh, fifty two. Um, although I guess it's not quite. Yeah, fifty two games for Pontus Aberg. Jordan Tutu. I think it's hard to beat Jordan Tutu in this matchup. Yeah, I mean, look, Aberg was a, a fine player. He scored a couple goals in the Stanley Cup final. Like, he he served a role. But I, I Jordan Tutu was just stitched in the fabric of the history of this team. So many yeah, people love yeah, him, yeah. and it's funny that his last name is Tutu, but he'll beat the shit out of you. So yeah, I would go. I would go with Tutu. Okay, I'm good with that. So our our elite eight, our one eight matchup: Vern Fiddler versus Harry Zolnerchuk. On the bottom half of that bracket, Rem Pitlick versus Jordan Tutu, the 5-6 matchup. Then you've got the 15 seed uh, Daniel Bang, who's upset Corbinian Holzer, who's going to play <laughs> Sergei Krivikrasov in the second round. Then you've got Merrick Zidlicki <laughs> versus Radic Bonk in the other in the other side. So there's the Elite Eight. Fiddler, Zolnerchuk, Pitlick, Tutu, Bang, Krivikrasov, Zidlicki, and Bonk. Uh, those are the names um, that uh, <laughs> that we've got in our, our, our final eight. Okay. Um, I do think I do think uh, my favorite. I'm thinking about Aberg and Zolnerchuk because there's all kinds of names off that Cup team that are just sort of sort of su- super random that never really played for some reason. And it's partly because I got to do a few shows with him and I got to know him, and he's got great taste in music. But Freddie Goudreau might be my favorite name to say of any Predators player. So I don't. Maybe I should have put Freddie Goudreau in this, but he's got good. He's a big Ryman guy. Listens to Americana. <laughs> um, he's also a really really nice dude. So uh, yeah. I don't know why. Maybe, 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 maybe Freddie Goudreau won the NIT. Um, uh, there you go. Tournament. Okay, Vern Fiddler versus Harry Zolnerchuk in the one-eight matchup for the right to go to uh, the Final Four. Who you got? Because I'm going. I'm going Fiddler, man. You're gonna have to knock me. You have to convince me hardcore to go off Fiddler. I don't think I can. I, I told you before this started. Harry Zolnerchuk was probably my favorite name in the tournament, but yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to knock off those one seeds. So if I, if Fiddler goes through. Not in not in the tournament this year apparently. 
Uh, all right, the other half, Rem Pitlick versus Jordan Tutu. I know where I'm going on this. Oh. I know where I'm going. If we're going just off of like the oddity of the name, I got to go Pitlick. Yep, I agree. Got to go Pitlick. I think Pitlick pulls the upset. Uh, Tutu, of course, like you said, far more ingrained in the in the fabric of the of the um, and the storyline and the way he played and how people loved him. But Rem Pitlick is the funnier name. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right, Vern Fiddler and Rem Petlick, two of our final four names in Preds history. Now we've got Sergei Krivokrasov. See, I can't even say it. Versus Daniel Bang on on the others on in the fifteen seven matchup. How do we feel? I, I feel like it's you're going to go Krivokrasov, and I'm not. I'm not saying no, but God, there's just so much potential with Daniel Bang. Could you imagine if Daniel Bang played for the Predators now? And then he's skating down and he scores a goal. And you listen to Willie Donick where he's like, bang, scores. Like, that would just be so wildly entertaining to me. But now, I don't you want, know. You I don't, want, are you fighting hard for Daniel Bang to advance as a 15 seed like Princeton to the next round? Fighting hard? No. Throwing it out there is a possibility. Yeah. I mean, Krivokrasov is just. What's your vote? Final I say we go. I say we go Krivokrasov. You had me convinced I was going to go Daniel Bang with you. I mean, if you want to go Bang, I'm fine with that, too. We can we, gotta, we can use the Cinderella run to the final four. We got to make a decision. Daniel Bang, it is fine. Daniel Bang, Dan Bang, <laughs> like the reverse psychology I just pulled on you. I yeah, mean, I like you it. Picked I like him, it. not me. Dan Bang, <laughs> Dan Bang into the final four. Uh, Radic Bonk versus Merritt Sidlicky. This is a blowout. Yeah, uh, it's it's going to be hard to beat Bonk. <laughs> Bang versus Bonk in one final four, and Fiddler versus Pitlick in the other. I could. <laughs> this has gone way better than I anticipated. <laughs> Um, all right, let's do bang versus bonk. <laughs> Dan, Both Dan, wildly entertaining names, but I think I think Bang's Cinderella run comes to an end. I agree, I agree, but man, what a run for Dan Bang. What a run. Yeah. Um he, he played all of eight games. <laughs> he played all of eight games for this team. His run uh, just, in this tournament lasted longer than his tenure with the Predators. Yeah, exactly. Um, by the way, this was 2013. Uh, he he did have two assists and had a negative two rating. <laughs> just just so you, so you know about Daniel Bang's career. Typical John Hines guy, eighty two game a, player. That's a national predator. Uh, <laughs> I'm with you, Dan. Uh, I'm with you. Radic Bonk moves on to the championship game. Um, now, I think this is I think this is actually played out quite well. So Vern Fiddler versus Rem Pitlick. Pitlick and Fiddler. One is heavy barbecue vibes. One is heavy music vibes. A perfect final four for the Nashville Predators. I am going to vote for Fiddler. But if you would like to make the case for Pitlick, the floor is yours. I, I I don't really know if there is a case. I mean, Pitlick is funny, but Vern Fiddler, considering the name, the Predators, music, mm -hmm. everything, everything's just playing in his favor. And plus, he's a one seed, and, and traditionally, one seeds are hard to knock out in the NCAA tournament. So I'm gonna, let's, go, let's go Fiddler. I would also vote for Vern Fiddler. <clears throat> so Vern Fiddler... Knocks off the six seed. So the one seed Vern Fiddler knocks off the six seed Rem Pitlick. The three seed Radic Bonk knocks off the 15 seed Dan Bang. And uh, you've got you've got Bonk and Fiddler. Now, I was a kid who grew up with a freaking TurboGrafx 16. Um, and for those of you who don't know what that is, God bless you and all of your childhood experiences because they were better than mine. My father thought the TurboGrafx 16 was like the cooler version of Nintendo or Sega. Uh, and so when me and my brother were young, we got a TurboGrafx 16. And the main game, you know how like Sonic was the main game for Sega? Mm -hmm. And you know how Mario's the main game for Nintendo? The main game for TurboGrafx-16 was Bonk. It was called Bonk. It was like Bonk's Adventure, Return of Bonk. Like there was like four different Bonk games. And it was actually quite fun. He was a caveman with a giant dome. And he would run around and he would smash things with his head. It was hilarious and quite fun, actually. It was about the only good game they had. Um, there was a baseball game that I played a lot, too. But... Soon, my father realized that um, nobody at my school could talk to me about my video games, and so I had to get a I had to get a Sega. <laughs> so, so Bonk. I say all that to say Bonk has a very strong, deeply rooted connection in my childhood psyche as a name, and I played it with Radic Bonk. I believe for the Canucks, right when he was on the video game. Sounds uh, right. Maybe, maybe I probably should look that up. But he was just always or no B Buffalo it was Buffalo, I think, and. I say all that to say, I really think Radic Bonk wins this for most teams, but not the Nashville Predators. Vern Fiddler is the champion in my mind. Make the case for Radic Bonk if you want. 
or is it a clean sweep, unanimous victory? The Fiddler is the greatest name in Nashville Predators history. Yeah, Got to have a fiddle in the band, man. It's tough, yeah. I mean, considering how Nashville's country music mecca and Vern Fiddler and everything about him just screamed. Like, he, he, his personality, everything, he's a Nashville Predator. But if we're going the funniest name, it's got to be Bonk. I mean... I, I I don't know. It's, right. it's still early in the morning. I don't know if I have a case. I'm fine with Fiddler winning. No, here but. here we go. Here we go. You've here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna put it up on Twitter after this comes out. We're gonna allow people to vote. I'll put I'll post the bracket and I'll post the final and we'll put a vote tally up. And, and that works. next week and next week we will announce a winner on the show. Greatest name in the Sweet Sixteen Predators name bracket: Radic Bonk versus Vern Fiddler. Next week on the show, we will announce the winner. Go to Twitter, at Braden Gall. At, well, actually, we'll put it on the 440 Sports uh, uh, Twitter account. So, at 440 Sports, I need you to vote. Vern Fiddler, Radic Bonk, best name in Preds history in the championship. That works. Think that's fair? Go to Jaspers, everybody. Two huge games against Seattle. We'll talk to you guys next week about this because there's this is this is gonna this is the this is the final gasp. There's no more benchmarks that I'm gonna put on the show. There's no more there's no more lines in the sand. I've drawn enough of them. You win two games against Seattle, you go for the playoffs. You split them or you lose two games, you're done. Develop players, move on to next year. Michael, where can people find you? Follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. And um, I will start writing Pred stuff for Broadway Sports. I've just been preoccupied, but I will get the ball rolling on that. It's all right. There you go. Uh, everybody check them out there at MGSports underscore. You can get to me at Braden Gall. Thanks for listening, everybody. Rate, review, subscribe, share the show. We do appreciate it. Radic Bonk versus Vern Fiddler, everybody, next week on the show. <laughs> Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. This has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network.